You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. So we're in um, the Sermon on the Mount series, and um, I'm really enjoying the series. It's been a lot of fun. If you've missed some weeks, I really highly recommend that you go back and catch up on them. You can watch them online at liferotp.com. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. The reason is because all of the Sermon on the Mount is kind of stuck together in this one kind of grand thought stream. And if you lose the thought stream, then you kind of start missing the forest for the trees. And we want to make sure that we don't do that in this process. Okay? So today, we are in Matthew chapter 6. We're starting chapter 6. And we're going to look at the first four verses and uh, pull this apart on giving to the needy. So let's, let's read a little bit. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, here's the general rule of thumb. For me, when I, when I ask, when I'm approaching a passage and I want to study this passage and I want to understand it, I want to figure out a way to ask as many questions as I possibly can about a passage. As many questions as you can. So in our teaching team, it's been kind of a fun exercise to just say, okay, ask as many questions as you want about this passage. And then I'm like, but wait a minute, but here's a question, here's a question, here's a question, here's a question. Like, you should ask already, you should be, uh, in the words of my good friend Tom Fitzgerald, you should be made of questions with this. Practice your righteousness? The heck does that mean in front of others? And how do you, like, is it ever okay for people to see you living right? Aren't we supposed to be an example? What in the world are we talking about here? So there's, there's a lots of questions already. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So if somebody sees you act righteously, then, then you're not going to be, get to go to heaven. So if somebody sees you live as a Christian, no, you're not going to get to go to, like, you should have a problem with that. So I'm supposed to not act like a Christian in front of people, and then I get to go to heaven. Just a few questions. When you give to the needy, and it's important if you're taking notes to circle the word when, not if. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, there's that word when again, not if. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. So if I give, if, if, any, if I keep a record of my tithe, is that sin and I don't get any reward in heaven for that? Is that what that means? We're gonna talk about all this stuff. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so let's pull some of these things apart and see if we can't figure out what maybe is going on here. Okay, so back to the beginning when you practice your righteousness, let's talk about what righteousness is. We'll start there. Righteousness is a covenantal term. And if you don't understand that, then you won't understand what Jesus is driving at. Remember that the Jews see their relationship with God as a covenantal relationship. What that means is God came and through Moses made a covenant with them, a deal that is binding. And in that covenant, they have expectations. They have expectations of God and how God's going to conduct himself, and they have expectations of themselves and how they're going to conduct themselves, okay? 
For God, there's words like redemption and protection and blessing and provision. All of these words describe God's terms to the deal. For them, for the Jews, they have 613 rules, laws, and commands that are given in Torah. And if you'll remember, a few weeks ago, if you've been here, you know that Jesus just got done saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. He's not trying to do away with those 613 rules, laws, and commands. He's trying to get them to see them within their proper perspective. And this is still part of the same conversation. So he has this section, he said, I didn't come to, uh, to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. You've heard it said this, but I say this. You've heard it said no murder, but if you look at somebody with anger in your heart, it's like you killed him already. Why? Because it's the motive that matters. That's what Thad talked about last week. That stuff matters. So what's going on here is Jesus is continuing this idea. Now, before we get too far, I want to reiterate this. We often, from our Western lens, look at this text and go, wait a minute, those Jews, they're so legalistic. They're just following rules all the time. Listen, they don't see the 613 rules, laws, and commands of Torah as legalism. They see it as a list that God gave them of 613 ways that you could show God that you love him. Now think about this, husbands. If your wife gave you a list of the 10 things that you have to do to, all, to show her that you love her, how convenient would that be? <laughs> like, that would be, if you ever figure out that list, write the book. I will buy it. I will buy it. The, the, the problem with the list is that if I just do check off the things on the list and I don't actually build relationship then that's a problem, right? Because I'm doing the actions, but I'm not connected at all, which is exactly what's going on with these guys. They're checking the rules off the list, but they're not in relationship with the God that they're supposed to be loving, and it's empty and it's shallow. So each side has their terms to the deal in the covenant. Those terms to the deal are called, in covenantal language, acts of righteousness, so when he says, practice your righteousness, what he's talking about is, as you're living out your side of the covenant with God, this is how it's supposed to look. That's what he's saying with righteousness. And that's important because this isn't just about rule following, it's about fulfilling the relationship that we committed to. And specifically, where he's gonna talk is about giving to the needy. So let's go back and look at some verses. Let's look at verse two. Yes. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. So let's pull this apart for a minute just so that we understand. It says, truly I tell you, they have their reward on full already. Um, trumpets and hypocrites. L let's, let's, here's an interesting little side note. The first person to ever call Jesus followers hypocrites is Jesus. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and, and what's interesting is uh, we have kind of taken that term and twisted and distorted it over the centuries. And so it's got all this kind of negative sludge hanging from it now, this word hypocrite. And people say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Uh, well, I hope so. Um, I hope because 
aren't those exactly the kind of people who need Jesus? I mean, I don't want to be part of a church full of hypocrites. You want to be a part of a perfect church? Like, where would you fit in that? They would look at you and go, I'm sorry, you, you don't belong here. I want a church full of hypocrites. I fit right in. <laughs> fit right in. Gives me permission. Like, they, if I mess up, they can't be like, you, you, can, you can't be here. <laughs> I, want, I don't want that kind of pressure. I don't want that kind of pressure. Hypocrite. And if you've done any, if you've got any history in the church, you know this. Hypocrite, it simply means actor. The word is hypocritas. It means the, the face over. And it comes from the theater. It comes from uh, the actor. And so simply what Jesus is saying is, when you give to the needy in this way, you're acting. And, and here's why he chooses to do this. I want to show you a picture. Let's show the first picture. These are masks. These are theater masks. And, and what you can imagine is they don't have jumbotrons in the theaters in the ancient world. And some of them are huge. We were just in Turkey and we saw some uh, that seated 22, 26, 30,000 people. Thousand, 30,000 people in one place. No amplification, no sound system, no jumbotron. How in the world did they ever do this, right? Well, one of the things that they did to accentuate people's facial features is that they would put on a mask. And the mask allowed people to see emotional expression accentuated. Uh, so this was an opportunity. Now, this was more of a Greek thing. By the time the Romans rolled around, they had facial makeup and they would actually paint it on. But these are Greek. This, this idea of the face over. This is you pretending to be something that you're not. And so this is where this comes from, this idea of a hypocrite, being an actor, this face over, okay? And think about it from this perspective. What Jesus is saying is, you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. And it's like this. Leonardo DiCaprio uh, has starred in over 44 movies. Which one is he? Who's the real, is it, the Revenant, or is it the Wolf of Wall Street? Which one's the real, or catch me if you can, which one's the real Leonardo DiCaprio? Titanic, we hope so, right? <laughs> Don't let go, Rose. <laughs> Somehow it doesn't have the same king of the world. We all hope it's that one, right? But here's the thing. The truth is, none of them are the real one, right? Why? Because he's acting. He's not being a true version of himself. And what Jesus is saying is, you guys are like actors. You're not being a real version of yourself. The law, the relationship with God, invites us to authenticity, not just to check and rules off the list. Now, you are going to do your acts of righteousness. You are going to do them. You are going to give to the needy. That's just part of the game. That's the rules. But when you do it, don't do it in a fake way. Now, the other piece of this is that they do it with trumpets. And the trumpets are actually tied to the theater as well. Trumpets... Um, when a certain actor, and it was in back in the ancient world, in the theater, the actors became very famous, totally different than today's world. 
they became very famous. And so when certain actors would show up on the stage, it was a really big deal. And so if you had a, a marquee where there was going to be a certain actor that was going to be participating in the play, man, they would really use that to sell the theater out. Okay. And so, um, they would, when, a, when an actor was about ready to come out on the stage, they would blow trumpets. Boop, 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 boop. Let, me show you, let me show you another picture. This is kind of what it's like, okay? It's like this. It's like the paparazzi. The, the, the person comes out and the click, 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 like this is what it is. They're doing it for all this show and pomp and circumstance and the trumpets blow and the crowd cheers and the person comes out on stage to be or not to be, right? Kind of a time warp there, but you get my point. So this is kind of what's going on. This is what Jesus is talking about. Don't be like the actors who come out to all this kind of pomp and circumstance and show and stuff, which by the way, just an interesting little twist. There's another little twist to the trumpet piece that I think is particularly interesting because Jesus is in the Galilee when he's, doing, when he's having this conversation, which means he's talking to a group of fundamentalist Jews. These are incredibly conservative Jews. None of them would have been caught dead in a theater. In fact, the rabbis taught that you, uh, the, the rabbinic teaching was, may you never be caught with the dust of a theater on your shoes. They, they don't want anything about the theater. They don't want anything. So these people probably have never even been in a theater. But there's another layer to this trumpet piece that they would actually really resonate with, and it's this. At the temple in Jerusalem, every day at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., they would have their daily sacrifices. And what would happen is, as those sacrifices, it became time for them to commence the morning and the afternoon sacrifices. A priest would stand on the corner of the temple, come with me to Israel, we'll stand right where it happened. And he would blow a shofar before the sacrifice. The Jewish layer to this is blowing trumpets before I make a sacrifice. Are you with me? I want to announce that I'm about to make a sacrifice. I want you to know. And this is the idea of what was going on in the temple when they were taking their bags of money and dropping them in the collection in this big copper basin. They would drop their bag of coins, clang, 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 about to listen to my coins roar, right? Like, they would do that. Like, this is what they were doing. They were blowing the trumpet before their sacrifices. And what Jesus says is, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not okay. Let's look at the next verse. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Let's talk about this for a second. One of the problems that we have in the church, and I, I, I grew up in the church. My dad was a preacher. PTSD, uh, PKSD, is that what they call it? Preacher's kids, traumatic stress disorder. I don't, I don't I've recovered, I'm okay. Um, here's the deal. We had a gal, this 
one of the most godly people that I've ever met in my life. And she, her husband was actually on staff for a while at the church. He actually passed away suddenly. And so she was uh, just kind of stayed in the church and served and was kind of behind. She was a wonderful lady, wonderful lady. But she believed, based on this verse, she believed that if anyone ever knew what she gave... In any, like, whether that was giving to the church or meeting a need of somebody, like they had a, something in their house break and she had an extra one so she could give it to them. Like she, she believed that if anyone ever knew that it was her that was doing it, that she lost her reward in heaven. So she went like in tears. She, I remember I was standing there. I was like a little kid. This really marked me. It's funny the things that stick with you. My dad is talking to her about a pie she had made for somebody that had just had a baby. You know how you make meals for people. And she was like, can you give this to her? And he's like, I, I have a date with my son. I can't. And she started to cry. She's like, I can't give it to her or I will lose my reward in heaven. That's what the... Good heart, bad theology, right? This is not about saying that if you do something right and somebody sees it, that you've lost your reward in heaven. What this is talking about is if you do, if you do something right, so that somebody will see you, then you've lost your reward in heaven. Does that make sense? This isn't about whether, and, and the problem is, and especially around money, because people are so funny about it. it we, li we live in the richest country in the world, and we hate talking about money more than any other country. Like, it's odd. It's odd that we feel this way. But what happens in the church is, we don't want to talk about money. We don't talk about money. We don't want to talk about it. So people who come to Christ later in life never learn what generous means. They don't know what generous looks like because nobody will talk about it. Right? Nobody will be like, here's an example of what I do as an act of generosity. Here's how we meet the needs of the poor. Here's how we give to the church. Here's what it looks like for us. And so they're like, is generous like a dollar? Is generous like whatever's in my wallet? What is generous? Is, it, is generous like... 90% of my income? Like, what, is, what does that mean? I'm supposed to give generous. What does that even mean? And we don't know because nobody wants to talk about it, right? The, the rabbinic rule was this. 10% is the minimum. That 10% of your income, of your, of your income, gross or net, I don't, uh, well, do you want to be blessed on your gross or your net? Like, 10% of that, like, that's the minimum. That's what the Jewish, the rabbinic thought was. 10% is the minimum. That's your tithe. That's God's direct command. For the rabbis, though, 20% was the maximum. So they gave a window where they said more than 20% is indulgence, actually. You're, you're indulging some other piece of yourself to need to give more than that. Now, there are some people that are just called, they're called givers. They're generous people. They're like supernaturally empowered to be generous. And, and uh, that's okay. It's a totally different story. It's like the difference between somebody who can run a 5K and somebody who can run a super marathon, right? There's any one of us, honest, any one of us could finish a 5K right now. It's three and a half miles. You may not be able to run it like a blazing speed, but you could get across the finish line. Like any one of us could limp along in that. But a super marathon is 50 miles. You got to train for that. There are people who love that. I think they're not smart people. <laughs> like, there's so many better ways to spend four hours of your day. 
for me, it would be more like 12 hours of my day. Like, um, like I don't know, watching TV. Uh, uh, bamboo shoots under my fingernails. That'd be better than 50 months. But there are people who love it, right? Same thing with giving. All of us kind of have this standard, like this is where we all are supposed to function. But then there's these people that are just supernaturally empowered to do more and they love it. And that's okay. But there's this window of generosity, 10 to 20%. This is the world that we should live in. And I think for most of us who've been walking with the Lord for a while, we're trying to find 10%. We're trying to get to 10%. And I think most of us should honestly come to terms with the fact that we should be looking 10% in the rearview mirror. Like we should be past that because that's generosity. That's what it means to walk with the Lord. And, and this is actually really significant because it plays out in what makes us willing to give. Okay. So I want to tell you a story, a little story. Way back a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away called Egypt, there was this group of people called Israelites. And the Israelites were they, they were prospering and doing really well in Egypt for a long time. But in fact, they got so prosperous that the Pharaoh got scared and actually made them slaves. And it was really difficult for them. And so God heard their cries as they cried out to him. And he said, okay, I'm going to deliver you. And so he sent a guy by the name of Moses. And through these really amazing, miraculous things, he liberated the people of Israel out of Egypt through these 10 plagues. And then they get to the, to the Red Sea and they, the sea parts and they walk on dry land. And, and Pharaoh's army comes in after him and the sea collapses on them, which is just... It's just this incredible moment where God's people are delivered because of the power of God's right hand. And he leads them out into the desert for what Jeremiah calls their honeymoon. I've been there in the desert where they walked. Let me tell you something. If I had taken my wife there for a honeymoon, we would not be married it looks like the moon. Like it's just desolate, barren, hot. Holy mackerel, it's hot. God brings them out there and he wants to dwell amongst them. He wants his presence to be amongst his people. And so what he does is he invites them into uh, building a place where his presence will rest called the tabernacle. Okay, so I want to read you some verses here that I think are interesting. Let's, let's start in Exodus 25. It says, The Lord said to Moses, tell, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. All right, if you're taking notes, underline that phrase, who prompts them to give, whose heart prompts them to give. Because we're going to come back and talk about this. Because what a lot of people do who are Christians today is they're like, well, my heart's not really prompting me. Listen, go back to what Jesus said, when you give, not if, when you give. And, and I, I've even had people tell me, well, you know, 1 Corinthians says the Lord loves a cheerful giver and don't give grudgingly or under compulsion. And because I would be giving grudgingly or under compulsion, I don't have to give. That's not what Paul's saying there. What Paul's saying is I am gonna come and take a collection and you are going to give something. Don't do it grudgingly because God loves a cheerful giver. He's not talking, he's not giving you an out. What he's saying is you are going to give something. Check your heart. <laughs> Let's keep reading. This is Exodus 35. 
Continuing on in the collection for the tabernacle. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. You should underline that. Next verse. And everyone who has willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord. So you should probably underline that. I want you to look at this consistent theme. This is about a willing heart, right? Uh, Brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments, and they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. So they took their earrings off and they were like, That's how that went. Next verse. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the works. You should underline that again. This is happening. All the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Next verse. And then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Why are they bringing all this stuff? So that God will come and dwell among them. So question. What made them willing to be so generous? What's crazy is Moses will later on have to come and tell them to stop giving. They are so determined and willing to create space for God's presence in their lives that they give too much. Like that ought to, this isn't just about being willing. I have a happy heart when I give. It's not just about that. The thing that makes them willing to give is the promise of God's presence in in the lives of those who are properly generous. So when you give, don't do it to be seen by other people because then you've already gotten your reward. Do it in a way that opens up the opportunity for God's presence in your life. I promise you that's better than any accolades that other people will give you. That's what Jesus is saying. This isn't about whether or not you get to be generous. It's when you do, do it in a way that invites the presence of God to show up in your life. Because what God says is, when a group of people carry a willing heart into generosity, his presence comes and dwells amongst them. You want God to show up in in this group? Do you want the presence of God here? Super easy. Super easy way. Generous. Be generous. So if you walk out of here today and you're like, I don't have to, I don't have to do that. Like with all the love in my heart, you just robbed us of the presence of God at some level. Why would you do that? Why would you do that to me? I don't know about you guys, but I need the presence of God in my life. Like without the presence of God, I'm a train wreck. We have an easy opportunity for God to show up more and more and more, and it's in our generosity. This is what Jesus is saying. Look, the law says you're gonna be generous. You are. That's the rules. But the heart with which we do it can open up the door to the presence of God in whole new ways. Now, With that in mind, we're gonna move towards the Lord's table. Two things are gonna happen right now. Number one, Thad talked about those uh, cards, that the connection cards. There's gonna be some buckets. They're gonna come down the middle. 
and we're gonna send them to the outside. So grab that card. They're gonna, I just lied to you. What they're gonna do is come from this side, send them this way. They'll pick them up over here, okay? Um, so go ahead and do that. Uh, drop that card in there. If you have a, a tithe or an offering in there that you wanna do that, that's fine, drop it in there as well. Um, the other thing that we're gonna do right now is we're gonna take communion together. And we take communion every week. At our church, we have uh, an open table. Here's what that means. Anybody, anybody who is willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we invite you to take communion with us, but we're gonna hold those elements till the end and we're gonna take them all together. While they're passing that out, while they're passing out that communion, I wanna work through some implications. And these are basically questions that would be really good discussion points for your, uh, for your home groups this week, discussion points for um, your family around the dinner table, uh, for those of you that are parents here dropping off kids. Um, great, you got a ride home. It'd be great discussion questions for you on the ride home. Give you something to do besides cry. Uh, here's the deal. Like I was sharing with the family this morning. Like I, I remember when we dropped our daughter off for call. Like <sighs> that's just hard. It's just hard. And so I pray for you, um, parents. I'm proud of you for turning your kid loose a little bit. Um, it's hard. So these are just some questions that I want to give you to distract you on your drive home. <laughs> um, question number one: Do you know the Father? Easy question. What Jesus says in Matthew 6 is, when you give in secret, then your father, your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. He knows you. Do you know him? Like really know him. And, and, and I would say this. We can mentally ascend to yes all day long, but the proof is in the pudding. If you really know who the Father is, how could that not well up in rich generosity? Like, how could you do anything else if you really knew who God was? Next question. If you do know the Father, have you given him your heart? There's a lot of people who know about God. And there's a lot of people who come to Christ who come to become a Christian because they want to get out of hell. It's fire insurance. Um, okay. But here's the thing you have to understand. The longer that I walk with Jesus, I don't follow him just because he's true and just because he's right and just because I get heaven one day. I follow Jesus because this Christianity thing lived out properly is the best gig going. Like there is no better life. There isn't a better life. There's a lot of things I'd like to say about that, but let's move on to the last question. What could change with hearts that are willing? Here's the statistics. Statistics are that uh, 10 to 20% of Christians tithe and that the average American gives 2.5% of their income to charity. Here's an interesting statistic that's also verifiable. During the Depression in the 1930s when people had nothing, the average American gave 3.5%. 
of their income. So they had less and gave more. What's our problem? Like where, what happened? What happened there? And I wonder, like what, what could happen? What could happen if we would just be willing to take God at his word and do what God wants us to do? I wonder what would happen. You know, you guys, most of you know this. Like we own a shopping mall in Moscow. It's kind of cool. Um, it's got some good restaurants. And we've used some of the space there to meet for church. You know what I'd love to do? I would love if we, if we had just, just people just do the minimum that God asked them to do, just the minimum. You know what we could do? Give you guys permanent location. I'd love to do that for you. Uh, I came in this morning at uh, 6.40 and set up the chairs. And I was thinking as I was setting up the chairs, we've been doing this for 11 years I'm, I'm tired of setting up chairs. We need to get Pullman a permanent location. Can I get a witness? If you would just tithe, we could stroke a check for it. Just tithe. I'm not asking you to even do more than that. That's the funny thing. At our mall, like we have this dream of um, bringing in single moms and people transitioning out of prison and people coming out of drug rehab to some transitional housing where not only can we give them a place to live, but we can give them uh, free or reduced daycare and start businesses in the mall that hire those specific people to teach them a job skill so that they're not dependent on the system anymore. Like, we, have, we already have all the, the resources to do it Except for the apartments, that's going to be a bit of an expense. But if our people would just tithe, just tithe, we could stroke a check for that too. Like the ministry opportunities, what could we do with a building in Pullman? How could we impact this community for Christ? All the dreams, the things that we would want. It, like, it's, it's all just about being able to have the resources to do it. And the good news is, <laughs> here's the funny thing. All the money that we have, that we need to do anything like that that we've ever dreamed of, we we found it. Um, the bad news is it's all in your pocket. So, like, that's, <laughs> you, you do that whatever you will. And here, I mean, here's the thing. Like, if you're new with us, money is not typically a topic that we talk a whole lot about. Which maybe that's the problem. But this has, happens to be like one of those things where your generosity, your willingness to be generous with a good heart, is directly connected to who you really believe the Lord is and what he's really like. And that's, that's what's going on here. It's what Jesus is talking about. This sacrificing to move the kingdom forward. It's a privilege that we get to do. It, it looks a lot like what communion represents for us, this idea of laying our lives down so that the world can get put back together one person at a time. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you take this, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for how you reveal yourself and how your presence shows up in our lives when we're generous. Thank you for the lessons that you teach us about our heart and about your heart and about how the world's supposed to function. And I pray, God, that you would find us faithful.
in the midst of that. We love you, Lord, and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.